Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Lord God of all nations, you have revealed your will to all people and promised us your saving help. May we hear and do what you command, that the darkness may be overcome by the power of your light through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen. The Old Testament reading is from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 31 to 34. It can be found in page 794 in the Church Bibles. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. This is the word of the Lord. The New Testament lesson is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21, which is on page 1162 in uh, the church Bibles. Hear God's word. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. May God bless to us the hearing and the understanding of God's holy word. A while back, I heard an American mission worker in Egypt tell about one of his former students. This missionary, who was supported by the church where I was pastor, works at a seminary in Cairo where he prepares ministers for the Protestant church in Egypt. 
If you follow the news, you've heard about all the tensions that are roiling in the Middle East. You've heard about the rise of Islamist militants and the growing isolation that Christians there feel. One night, this pastor's church was burned to the ground when some people broke in and lit it from top to bottom. But rather than seek revenge, rather than rally his people to go burn down a mosque, the next Sunday, this Egyptian pastor, who is trained with the help of mission support from churches like IPC, told his congregation when they gathered next to the ruins of their church, it's not our business to worry about revenge. Our business is to listen to what God is doing now. This event will make us better Christians. Now this man knew that God was doing something different. This pastor was reminding his church what Paul reminded that church in Corinth. From now on, he said, regard no one from a human point of view. Because of the cross, we see everything, everyone, differently. If Jesus had been keeping score, he would have had plenty of reasons to use the power of Almighty God to get even. He began his life as a refugee from Egypt, fleeing with Mary and Joseph from that murderous King Herod who was out to kill him. After he started his public ministry, his very first sermon was in Nazareth, the town where he grew up. And the people, after they heard it, tried to throw him off a cliff. One of his disciples, those men he loved and entrusted with his work, one of his closest friends handed him over to be executed. When the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, asked the crowd to choose either Jesus or the murderous insurrectionist Barabbas to be crucified, the crowd told, chose Jesus. Jesus could have gotten on that wave to make Israel great again, but that's not how Jesus works. When he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, one of his disciples pulled out a sword and chopped off the ear of one of the people who'd come to arrest him. Jesus rebuked him and told him to put away his weapon. I could call down angels from heaven, he said, but that's not what he was about. Instead of getting even and setting things right with one apocalyptic blow, Jesus went to the cross where he took all the sins of the world, all of the abuses and injustices he suffered, all the failures and sins and transgressions of you, of me, of every broken, corrupt, and disordered relationship in the world. And he said, we're going to start over. You're forgiven. From here on, we start afresh. As you grow up, you learn to choose how you're going to relate to people. Sometimes you have to make a choice about which is more important. Some offense that's been done to you, 
or the relationship you have with a person. My father-in-law was an attorney who did lots of work with wills and estates. In that capacity, he was something of a family counselor. He never betrayed any confidences, but he did share some horror stories about settling estates. A client's survivors would get belligerent over who got what when the parent died. Brothers and sisters would go for years without speaking to each other because they felt they'd been wronged in the settlement of their loved one's affairs. That's why my mother-in-law made it clear to her three children that whenever they divided up her effects, their first priority was maintaining family unity. And that's what they did. They set up a very equitable system of dividing up her things. But each one had to swallow hard when another one laid claim to something they had their eye on. And I have to admit that even today, when I visit my brother-in-law's house, I'll see something from the old home place and think, that would look a lot better in my house. But the siblings put their relationship with each other above their desire for certain things. And I'd much rather have that family in my house for Thanksgiving without the things than have the things and not the family. It's the same way with the way that we're treated. All of us can collect affronts if we put our minds to it. Sometimes you just have to decide which is more important, the relationship or the affront. Well, Jesus showed his choice on the cross. We've all let God down. And on the cross, Jesus wipes it all clean and starts from scratch. Now, that doesn't mean we sweep things under the rug, that we don't hold each other accountable. When we hurt someone, if the relationship is going to survive, we have to confess what we've done, ask forgiveness, and try to do better. Every Sunday when we start our worship service, we confess our sin. The very first requirement for being a Christian is to admit that we've offended God and ask God's forgiveness. That was the beauty of the Truth and Reconciliation Commissions in South Africa. After apartheid, lingering grievances could have torn that country apart. But after the system of legalized segregation ended, leaders like Nelson Mandela and Bishop Desmond Tutu pushed to have these forums set up where those who had been harmed could confront their abusers. The victims told their abusers about the pain and the suffering they had endured at their hands and how it had affected their lives. The offenders had to listen and confront the result of their actions. Then they could ask their victims for forgiveness, and the commission could prescribe reparations, or rehabilitation, or amnesty. The purpose of the commissions was to take seriously the wrongs that had been done, to put the reconciliation and the future 
before retribution that focused on the past. That's how God relates to us through Christ. God doesn't ignore the past, but he puts it right on the cross and starts over. And that's how we, as Christ's ambassadors, relate to others. In Christ, we are a new creation. Everything old has passed away. Everything has become new. That doesn't mean we ignore reality. We don't sugarcoat other people or turn a blind eye to them. We see them with new eyes. It doesn't mean you loan money to someone you know has bad credit and not, doesn't have the discipline to pay you back. It doesn't mean you take a friend who's in recovery out for a round of drinks. It doesn't mean letting criminals walk the streets without paying consequences for their crimes. It doesn't mean that those who've hurt us don't have to do something to regain our trust. And there are those relationships that can't be repaired. And in that case, reconciliation might be going your separate ways to keep from hurting each other. Sometimes that's the best outcome of a divorce. There's sometimes when two people who've made a sincere commitment to spend their lives together realize they just can't for whatever reason. Sometimes they might redefine the relationship and stay each involved in each other's lives, but in a different way. And sometimes it might mean breaking contact altogether so they're no longer caught in a struggle for mutually assured destruction. They realize the harmful buttons they push in each other. So they walk away in order that their lives can move beyond bitterness and revenge. John 3.16 says God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Theologians can debate about who has access to God's eternal love and how But one thing that's indisputable is that God loves the world. And Christ died for all, whether we believe and accept that or not. When we give our lives to Christ, our eyes are open to see the world as he sees it, in love. We know that every person we encounter is someone for whom Christ died. Whether that person is sitting on death row or the papal throne. Whether they live in the White House or a council house. Whether that person is your best friend or your worst enemy. Christ died for him or her. And so that's how we treat everyone. Whether we like them or not. We treat every person with the kind of dignity and respect and love they deserve, not for what they've done, but because Christ died for them. Now, one of the best places that I've found to practice that kind of Christian love is in a crowded airport when your flight has been canceled. All those people jostling around you in that endless security line. Okay, Jesus loves each and every one. 
That harried agent who's trying so desperately to rebook your flight and getting testy about it. Jesus loves her. Sometimes when you're in a situation where the worst of human nature is on display, it helps to say a little prayer. Lord, help me be your ambassador. Help the place I'm standing be a little spot of your love. And then all of a sudden, you've been given a wonderful ministry right there where you are. Not long ago, my wife and I were having supper with the retired CEO of a major international corporation. He's an elder in his church, and we were talking about all the complexities of running such a a large corporation. The topic finally got around uh, what he identified as his most challenging, uh, the most challenging aspect of his job, the people he worked with. And he talked about how he dealt with subordinates who were not working out. It's one of the hardest parts of his job. He didn't shout, you're fired, and throw them out without ever giving it a second thought. If the issue was poor performance, he'd do what he could to help that person find out what calling was right for him or her. That might involve finding another job or maybe retooling for a different career. If some kind of malfeasance was involved and there did have to be a quick and clean termination, he'd always treat that person with respect and remember them in his prayers. He told of several people he'd let go who later came by to see him. Whenever his assistant announced that they were waiting to see him, he'd get a little nervous. But usually, they'd come in and thank him for helping them find the place they were supposed to be. One said, I don't know how I ever got involved with that job I had with you. In retrospect, I hated it but I love what I'm doing now. Thank you for helping me see that. That's the kind of thing that can happen when we realize that because of Christ, we are the new creation. We see each other differently as he sees them. And seeing others as Christ sees them, we can join him building up that new creation in living out of love and respect and kindness. The scripture says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's what you are. The righteousness of God. God's new creation. Live into it.